0: Welcome to the
1: B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Alright, it's a not-so-serious Sunday with Evan and Brandon. I don't know what kind of accent that was supposed to be. I don't know. I was
2: like, oh, is it, it kind of had like almost like, a, like an Italian-American kind really? of thing. But then it was not at the same time. It, was, it turned into something else. and I,
1: I don't know. It was I like, it. I guess I was trying to be an announcer.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the yeah. yeah that you. was going through my head, but I was trying to <laughs> pick a specific kind of thing. I'll be
1: damned, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Crystal Walken is a guest, not
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Oh, great! Now this is what becomes of the show."
1: <laughs> well, it's an episode. St- yeah, a bunch doing of impressions. guys impressions. <laughs> well, hey, that could be fun. We could do it every now and then.
2: Yeah, Why it could not? be fun. I, d- I don't know if if that's as big of a strength though, for us to carry a whole show
1: on that. I wouldn't do it for the whole show. No, I think that'd be weird. Well, we
2: should have an impressionist on the show. Yeah,
1: we should. That'd be cool because that's definitely an art form. Yeah. If you're an impressionist and you're listening to this, give us a call. Let us know. Yeah. If you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I say, if you're a good impressionist. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So not so serious. So we, uh, we're going to figure out the topic as we go along today. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna be blowing in the wind. <laughs> Easy breezy. Yeah, so whatever title you read, we didn't figure that out until way later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know, what's, what's going on? What's on your, what's on your mind right now?
0: Hmm.
1: Well, you know, I had a, um, lots, you know, there's, there's always, every week is always, a is always interesting. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of changes and stuff that have been going on in my life really these days. Um, And uh, one of the big things that I'm finding is, you know, I kind of got to a point, uh, I I mean, I would say that this wasn't like just some day I decided this, but this has been kind of a transition for quite a while now where I just realized that it's really, really important to have my standards be really high about everything in my life. And I think, um, you know, I think that for a period of time, I lowered my standards around certain things you know, have it be friends, have it be the jobs I did, have it be whatever, even the, maybe even the scripts or projects I worked on, whatever it was. And, I I just kind of had a heart to heart with myself a little while ago. And I realized that, you know, I need to really raise the bar. I need to raise the standards and, you know, what is my resistance to doing that? And so, uh, you know, and I've committed to that. I've committed to doing that. And, um, you know, really, for a few months, but really especially in these last in these last several weeks, it's been you know it's been a, a different thing and I, what I'm finding is, as I've raised my standards, certain things have changed because of the way that I'm conducting myself. you know actually, to be honest, it, you know I think it was really at my birthday, you know, which was about a month ago. That was yeah. where things really changed. you know whatever you, you turn a new year older and you kind of make some decisions about life, who do you yeah. want to be? And, um, you know, and, and what's interesting is I'm really happy with making that choice. I think it's created a lot of wonderful things in my life. A lot, a lot of really, um, the the most amazing people in my life are kind of surfacing, uh, the jobs I want are surfacing. And also what I'm finding on the flip side though, is there's certain things that have always been in my life, which are going away, you know, have it be people or have it be certain groups or things or whatever. And, uh, I've been realizing in this last week or two I've been kind of struggling a, w- a bit with that I've been kind of you know um feeling this kind of loss you know and and it's and I realize that i am i'm letting go of an old way of being i'm letting go of an old life and there is a bit of a grieving to it there's kind of a you know um this is pretty serious actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not so serious anymore. but there's a grieving to it i mean there's people in my life who have been friends for a while who you know, or really I'm realizing, um, and I had a big talk with a really good friend of mine the other day, um, or yesterday actually, and we were just talking about it and it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, what's a friend and, and maybe what's a connection, you know? And I started to realize that, you know, this term friends is something that, you know, I, I have been throwing around a little bit and I don't really agree with the way I've been throwing it around. And so I've gotten more clear on like, what is a friend to me and what is a connection, you know? And, and really, discerning between those two types of people, because some people are in my life and their connection and they're great. And, you know, when they need something from me, they call me, you know, and maybe when I need something from them, I call them. But the other thing is, is if they don't want to build a real friendship, if they don't want to build something beyond just being connections. Then and my standards are the people who I want to spend the most time with and be the closest with. That's what I want. I need to be willing to, you know, kind of um, acknowledge that that is a connection, not necessarily a friendship, and it doesn 't necessarily have the potential to be the kind of friend that I want unless they 're willing to kind of shift and It same goes for a project you know, for example, um, right now, I have a plethora of scripts. I can choose whichever one I want to write. you know my next jobs are already lined up, and initially before when this was happening, I was literally just saying yes to every job that they were putting on my plate, yeah, and now. I'm like, no, I want to do this one, or this is the one I want to do. I don't really want to do that. And it's, it's about artistic integrity. You know, it feels really, really good, but it's also really scary to say no. And like, be like, well, this script's going to go to someone else, or I could use the paycheck, or what if this is my next big break? But it's like, what do I want in my life? So anyway, you asked. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's been going on. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, that's,
2: it's, it's cool though. Like, you know, because it's, it's, there's not, there's not any right or wrong with necessarily with either of those things, you know, to, for making your decisions, as long as, you know, you are within your integrity, Mm. um, with, with those choices. And I, I think that it's sometimes you've got to go and you've got to have that experience of it to really, to really turn, turn that into wisdom Mm -hmm. you know, make it something that you, that's beyond just something that you have an understanding of, but something that you truly know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where it's, it goes from places like, okay, you know what, this is, this is fantastic. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to, I'm just going to throw myself at all of it. Right. And there's, there is almost a kind of a, a wisdom about that too, to really just dive in, you know, maybe it's not, not every project is, is, has you as excited as, you know, this one or this one, Mm -hmm. but you know, it doesn't mean that you can't necessarily find something. It doesn't mean that it can't be creatively fulfilling or Mm -hmm. even really surprise you. Right. Um, in terms of what you can come up with, but you know, until you've actually allowed yourself to have that experience. Right. And sometimes, you know, like making, making money is not always the worst reason to do something. No, (laughs) you know, it's, I think that's something that that's really demonized and it's like, and it's because it can be abused, you know, but that, that goes with, with anything you can abuse it on, on the other end of the spectrum and that has its own prices to pay for it. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. You're just going to say no to everything and you're going to scoff at everything. And it's like, well, nobody's going to want to work with you then. And now you're in a bad situation. Yeah. Right. As a, or, but then there's also people just like, they'll just, they'll just do anything for, for a buck and the work suffers for it. Yeah. And then you suffer for it creatively. And as an artist as well, you just like you, you don't even, you lose complete sight of what you even began doing it for. So, you know, but, you know, doing it for some money, like, especially it's like, you know, if you're, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, Oh my God, like I, I need to, you know, make some money. I need to pay some rent, you know, because, uh, there's, I, I th- was, I think it was Tony Robbins or something who said something like, um, you know, money, money doesn't solve your problems, but it does help you sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's, and, and there's a lot of truth to that, you know, cause it's, it, there isn't, there is some value beyond just like what money can get you. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a value to it on, I guess in this sense, it's like a, a, in a psychological way, but you know, if it, if taking on a job, you know, and it's not necessarily the most exciting for you, but you know, you take, you take it on because it's going to sustain you to continue on and, and move on to do the next project, right? You know, that's, there's nothing necessarily that's wrong with that. And again, I, I don't know, sometimes you do, you these things come along, you, and suddenly they really surprise you. You're like, Oh, I didn't think that this was going to be that much fun. Or I didn't think I was going to discover something like this in a story like this.
1: Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I think it's, um, I think definitely when you're getting, if if someone's going to pay you to write a script and you've never written a script before, um, or whatever, you've never been paid to write a script. And as long as that project doesn't go against you, like ethically or morally or whatever, I think, yeah, by all means say yes, because you know, you just transitioned from, you know, being an amateur screenwriter to technically a professional screenwriter. You're now getting paid to actually do your work. I think, um, you know, I've kind of crossed that bridge, you know, yeah. and uh, so now I'm kind of in a place where it's a little bit more like, okay, well, you know, and I wouldn't say that I've said, I wouldn't say that I've said yes to anything that I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I did stuff that I was like, oh, I wish I never did that. Yeah. But um, but also I think now I'm just at a point where it's like, okay, well what do I really want to do? And I, I think, um, you know, for a while I, I was editing demo reels, you know, I was doing that back in the day when I was kind of doing my editing thing and, you know, I was editing these acting demo reels and stuff. And I thought, Oh, this will be good. You know, I'll make some money and you know, whatever. And I started doing it. And at first it was kind of fun, but then I started like, you know, more people were like, Oh, you know, work with Brandon or whatever. I'll edit your demo reel. And so I started getting more and more people But the people who I was working with a lot of the time were like newbie actors who like, you know, their reels were, their acting was, you know, I I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but it was kind of weak, right? It wasn't very strong. And, um, you know, so I was helping them like pick their takes. Okay. Well, you know, what, you know, what scene should we use and whatever. And they all want to use everything. They think everything's brilliant. Yeah. And you're like, how do you tell someone that it's like, no, this is actually going to hurt you as an actor. Like, like if you short and sweet is better, right? Yeah. But then they'd want it longer because they want to get bang for their buck. But it's like, no, like actually a minute and a half or two and a half minutes at the most is really powerful, but a five or eight minute demo reel, they're going to turn it off. And, you know, trying to save your best for last is like, they're not even going to see that they're going to see this other stuff. And, uh, and anyway, and, and I started doing that for a while and I started to like, I, I started to like hate editing. I like, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. I, you know, it was like, and I, I normally loved editing. I really liked it. And so I basically, I was just like, no, I have to stop doing this or I have to only work with people who are like top of the line. And I looked at kind of like what it would take to basically be a demo reel editor for people who are top of the line. And you know, it becomes a a less simple job. Now it becomes something where you kind of got to go and you got to knock on doors and find the people and you got to earn a name for yourself. And then it becomes more of a full-time commitment. And I was like, do I really want to be a, a demo reel editor? Is that my dream? I'm like, no. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you know, this business model for me, it just doesn't work. Plus editing is super time consuming. Like, yeah. and and then you do it and then someone wants a correction and all this other stuff and all these little details. So my point is, is that I think it's good, you know, to do some things for the money, go try it out, see how you like it but I think then you kind of, you know, you experience it, then it's time to get honest with yourself and go, do I really want to do this? Like, who do I want to work with? And what do I want to do? Yeah. You
2: know, absolutely. Well, you know, in, in our, our show, we talk about the balance between artistry and industry. And, uh, I, I think that this, this conversation, I'm going to maybe call it, I'm going to maybe call not, not as in call it as in like, we're done. We're finished. <laughs> we're finished talking. <laughs> um, but it, it, we're, it seems like we're talking, um, this is all revolving around balance, balance in, in your craft and balance in your industry. This is totally what we're getting into. I mean, because I mean, pretty much you've been, you've been talking about (laughs) your your stuff, but I, I like it. I like it. Um, you know, it's this finding like for, for writing, it's now you're finding a balance of okay, well, which projects do I take on? Which do I let, do I let go of which things in my life do I, I hold on to right now, like, like friends and relationships, you know, and which ones do I accept as being just a different form, you know, nothing against these people personally kind of thing. It's just, you know, it's a different type of a relationship, right? Yeah. And also, yeah. And, and with this, with the editing as well, that, you know, you had dived into this for a while and then you really looked at what it was going to be and the balance between, you know, what am I doing here versus what do I actually want to do and stuff. So maybe this is, maybe this is, we're talking about balance today.
1: Well, we might be, I, you we know, might be, I'm not going to limit it. We can go anywhere. You know, the way that I've been thinking about it, which I I don't know, maybe balance relates to it, but I've been thinking a lot about the, you know, the, the caterpillar, the cocoon and the butterfly, you know, the transition from caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly. And, you know, the, the, the caterpillar is on the ground, you know, and it's, it's moving along in the dirt and it has, um, you know, it can only move so quickly and it's limited to always kind of, dealing with the surface that it's on and kind of, that's the only way it can really get around. And then in the cocoon stage, you're almost stuck. There's no movement. You're like in this little shell, this trap, or it's in this trap and it's dark and it's alone. And then eventually it becomes a butterfly and it, it cracks out of that. And now it can fly. And now it's dimensions of the world have changed. And so I kind of think of it like that. I mean, when you're starting out, you know, as an actor or a writer or filmmaker or whatever, or anything really, you're kind of in the caterpillar stage, you know, you kind of have to crawl around in the dirt and figure it out and kind of get where you need to go. And eventually, you know, you get enough experience, you grow up, grow enough. And then you get to this cocoon stage where everything I think changes. And you kind of want to just go right to the butterfly stage, but I don't think you can. I think you have to go through this cocoon stage where you, you transform, you know, you change. um, And it's a little bit about, you know, I think you get in your own bubble and you kind of you know, shut out the world for a little bit, and you know, have a heart to heart with yourself. And then, uh, you know, you either you either give up or you you know you strengthen your wings against this um, shell you've created, and you and you and you move. But you can never really go back to being the caterpillar. Yeah. Like once you've gone into the cocoon, there's no going back. It's like, you know. And so I think what happens is people get into the cocoon stage and it's dark and they're alone and they're like, well, I think I'll give up. But I think when you come out of that, there's no. The choices you made when you started are not going to be the same choices you'd make now, yeah, you know, like I mean <clears throat> I don't know, just name any actor who's a big star, right, like when they first started, they probably would have done most anything that would have come their way, yeah, and then you know when they now where they' where they're at, they're very selective about what they do, and I don't think you can necessarily start off being super selective in some ways you maybe you can, but for the most part, I think you need to get out there and you need to try some stuff, see what you like, see what you don't like, see where you stand. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I think, you know, um, and I, I don't know, it's, I don't mean to be arrogant in saying that I'm like in that butterfly stage, but I do feel like I'm transitioning out of kind of the working writer, taking everything that I, that comes my way to now being like, well, I want to, I'm looking at my time and I'm looking at my energy and I'm looking at my life and you know, even questioning, like, do I want to be a writer for the rest of my life? I mean, I love it, but do I really want to do this? You know, like, and being willing to be like, okay, maybe I'd walk away from all of this. You know what I mean? Because I look at it and I go, even if I've worked my whole life to get to this point where this is what I'm doing, I don't, I still don't have to do it, you know? And I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well choose stuff that I want to do and not, you know, not just do whatever comes available, you Mm -hmm. know? And, um, I don't know. I, I think that that like, uh, you know, for example, working with my marketing partner, we were talking about, um, you know, cause we're, we're organizing this thing to help teach people how to make movies, write scripts, produce finance, all that stuff. And, um, everybody's in a different stage, you know, and really in a lot of ways, like, you know, you don't talk to the, I'm mean, going to use this analogy. You don't talk to the butterfly the same way you talk to the caterpillar. You know, the caterpillar is not going to understand is not going to be able to, it doesn't have the same problems that the butterfly has. The butterfly doesn't have the same problems the caterpillar has. And so we're at different stages in our career. And I think that, you know, we need to find a balance in, in a way of where we're at, you know, and I think we need to be truthful of where we're at. I don't think, I think if you're in the caterpillar stage pretending, and I've seen people do this and I think I've done it myself, but just pretend you're a butterfly. Caterpillar pretending to be the butterfly. Right. But it doesn't (laughs) work because you're not because there's a, there's a whole other part of the world you haven't experienced yet. You know, um, for example, you know, I know, I know some really like high-end writers who are way, way above me and like they're, they're, they're getting paid way more than I'm getting paid working on way bigger projects. And I know other writers who have written some great scripts, but they've never been paid for anything they've done. Yeah but once you've like been in like an actual script meeting, like you've actually dealt with like contracts and, and kind of interact with the business, things change, things evolve for you. You know what I mean? But until you've experienced that, it's all kind of just hearsay. Right. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm pointing out. So I think there is a balance within it, but I also think we're in different places. So if I was going to add something to this, and I know it's premature in this <laughs> conversation, but it's like the stages of where we are, where we are as artists. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no. And, but, you know, throwing yourself into the experience of something and not being afraid of, you know, we talk about, you know, oh, I want to make, I want to make the right decisions, you know, uh, that, that was actually something that, that, uh, I was thinking about, I've been thinking about the last couple of days is this whole, (coughs) this whole thing of, of making, making decisions, you know, and making, (laughs) making a call on something And, you know, sometimes our indecisiveness on things. And I was thinking, probably just out of like my own moments of indecisiveness, where I'm just like, why is this necessary? You know, like, is it like, I can try and validate this to myself. It's like, oh, well, you know, I want to make sure I've really taken the time to consider and weigh and blah, 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 blah. And okay, yeah, I suppose so. But there's something to be said for just making a decision. Hmm. And the thought had struck me that it's like, well, what does, what difference is it going to make anyhow? You know, like in terms of, yeah, yeah, like as long as you've made, as long as you make a decision right on it, like how much, like, like one's going to lead you this way, one's going to lead you that way. You don't really know what the outcome is going to necessarily be. So are we putting too much importance on something like that? So to, to apply it to what you're saying, it's like, you know, you just sort of throw it, you, you, go through this experience of really just throwing yourself into it and saying like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll just say yes. I'll just take it on. I'll just explore that, see what it's like. And then go, it's like, oh, okay. All right. I've done that. Now I'm just going to dial it over here. Mm -hmm. Right. But until you've gone there, you don't know until you've actually had that experience of it. Right. So sometimes, I don't know, there's something to be said for just diving in and then you can correct the course as opposed to saying, it's like, okay, well, no, I want to make sure I only do the right projects.
1: Well, this is what yeah, I'm saying. I mean, you're, it's the stage you're at. I mean, you know, let's just use this analogy. The caterpillar, um, doesn't have the experience yet. So for them saying yes to everything is probably a good move in the beginning, you know, find out, but the butterfly, you know, take it from that place has, has lived some life, has experienced some things, has, has figured out what it's like to be spread too thin, has maybe worked on a project they didn't want to work on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so your decision point is a little bit different. I mean, you're, you know, decisions get better as you get more experience and as you do more of them, you know, yeah. when you're first making decisions, you don't know what you're doing. So I agree with you in the sense that when you're starting out and you don't know up from down or right from left or whatever, just go somewhere and see what happens. You know what I mean? But as you get more experienced, there's more refinement in your decisions. I mean, you know, for me, for example, like, you know, I, I, one thing I noticed, and this happens almost like say 99% of the time. And I, and I can literally say 99% of the time, because out of a hundred writers that I'll work with, 99 of them will pretty much do this. And they almost all do it where they go and they, and they go to write their first draft and they re-edit it as they go. Yeah. And almost, you know, and they do this, right? And the thing is, is they always hit writer's block and they always get stuck and they're, and they're always like, at first they're really excited. And then all of a sudden they run to this problem point. And, you know, for me, um, like, I, I look at it and I go, okay, well don't edit while you, while you create, just create or edit. It's one or the other. So I'm never making that decision anymore. Like now I'm making more refined decisions. I'm going, okay, when I create right now, you know, do I need to think more about the outline? Do I need to think more about the characters? Do I need to think more about, you know, different elements, right? So it's a more refined decision. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, is it depends what experience level you are, you know? And I, you know, those actors out there, the writers out there, directors out there, you know, for example, the newbie director might be going, oh, like, you know, I'm going to do this shot and I want to do this shot and I want to do this shot. And they've never made a film before. And you're going to run into the first thing you're going to run to is like, okay, well, you're going to run out of your budget because, you know, you only have so much time and so much resources before yeah. you can do that. So you're going to have to experience actually making a film before you want to talk about how to do all the best shots, you know, like, for those shots to be done, these really extravagant shots, there's other things that need to be taken care of. So a more experienced filmmaker, um, isn't, you know, they're, they're looking at, okay, well, there's certain things that need to be in place before I'm going to make that decision. Whereas someone who's new might just be like, what you need to do right now is you don't need to figure out your shots so much. You need to go and just make a film. You need to experience what making a film is like. Mm -hmm. Then we can start in our next talk about what kind of shots you'll use. You know what I mean? Because now you've actually interacted with the world a little bit because making a movie in your mind, it's always perfect. Oh yeah. (laughs) But in reality, there's crew restrictions, gear restrictions, uh, you know, everything there's, there's just time restrictions,
2: money restrictions. Oh yeah. I mean, and in our lives too, I mean, we imagine conversations that we're going to have with people and you know, they never, they never go that way. I mean, maybe you get a couple of the things out that you had planned on saying, but it's probably pretty unlikely that the other person said the same things that you thought that they were going to say. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I love discovering these universal truths. The, like that's usually when you, know, you can point to, it's like, Oh, okay. This is actually probably a little piece of, of wisdom stumbled upon as if you can, if, if you can tie it to all sorts of different areas of life and, uh, and in art.
1: Well, I think it all comes down. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all comes down to like having certain principles in your life, you know, and, and understanding and living by certain principles, because I think when we begin anything, we don't necessarily have a lot of principles about the thing other than what we take in from our own life. Right. But for example, you know, people who understand, um, people who really like understand, say, uh, you know, power and or or even education which you know are along the same lines is it's not so much about what you say it's about what you ask that's in a sense that becomes a principle you know it becomes a principle is like ask and listen way more than you ever talk you know um so like in a way the people with the power right now are the people on the other side of this podcast we don't have the power so much because we're the ones talking they're the ones listening they get to decide at any point to turn off this podcast or listen to another or, you know, whatever. And they get to decide if they're going to tell their friends to listen to it or if they're not, they have all the power because they're listening. So this becomes a principle of power, you know, mm-hmm. power is listening. So then once you know that your decisions about what you do from a place of power become different, but until you're aware of that, until you're aware of these things, you know, you're going to, you know, a lot of people think talking all the time is what makes them powerful. Or I remember this when I was early on in acting. <laughs> I remember thinking, if I got angry, that that made me more powerful. Mm. And it's the exact opposite. Actually, getting angry is losing your power and giving your power away. But like, you know, you don't know this, right? So the decisions you make, you know, I, I had to go try it out. I had to go experience it. Get really angry in a scene. Try it out. See what happens. You know, as opposed to going, well, I heard that power is never get angry. But like, and then what you just, now you've just cleaved yourself. You got to, you know, some of the stuff you got to try, you got to do it wrong in a way to like learn.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Know? Or at least go into and, and discover that it's not nearly as, as simple as you thought it was like to take this for examples. Like it's not that getting angry can't or isn't a powerful thing to happen, but I mean, if it's, if it just becomes the goal unto itself, well then it's probably not very, probably not a very powerful thing to have happen.
1: Um, well also like, and and I don't want to cut your point off, but like you might get angry in a scene, you might just get angry, but then to like say, well, I don't want to not, I don't want to be angry right now because angry means I'm going to lose my power in a certain way. Like as an actor in that scene, you know, you're, you're cheating the scene because is the character thinking that way or you as the actor trying to be powerful? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the thing is that, you know, I think when, uh, when an, when an actor is really in, in the character or they're in the scene and they understand that anger is something that might come up out of the context of the character for them. Yeah.
2: Like, uh, to point to a a terrific example, if I do say so myself, um, (laughs) you know, Ed Harris at the end of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Um, if you haven't watched this movie, give it a watch people. Um, (laughs) but he has this huge, like he goes on this huge tirade at the end of it, just like a massive, like adult tantrum. And, and it is, it's kind of this weak thing, you know, like you watch him and you're just like, you know, you're just kind of shaking your head at him, but it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect because, you know, that was in some ways
1: what the role calls for. That's kind of who this guy is you know, not all characters are powerful. Yeah, exactly. We're weak. Like look at the godfather, look at his brother, right? Yeah.
2: You know, and that's, this is, this is a little bit of a (laughs) detour here, but you know, I, I do, I remember learning this stuff of like, oh, well, you know, you, you want to be powerful all the time. You want to be powerful. It's like, well, not all characters are powerful. Some of them are weak, you know, some of them, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you, you play a weak person, but, but I don't know. There's like to, to say, I I found that it was a limiting thing. You know, you're making choices out of, I don't know, like uh, some concept of what being a, a powerful and a strong actor is. And sometimes I think being a powerful and a strong actor is, is doing exactly what the character requires. Mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes that means making yourself look like ma- or making yourself, uh, a victim,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, that, that can be, you know, it's not necessarily the most awesome thing to watch.
1: <laughs> as well, it as can, and it you can it, be though, it
2: can be, uh, and, and especially if there's some sort of an arc to it where you see a, you know, a change where that occurs, because, you know, I will agree on a certain, uh, on a, in terms of compelling in storytelling, a compelling character in storytelling, it is difficult to watch someone who's just a victim the whole time. You do, you do, you do want, like that's super uninteresting. Um, but that doesn't mean that that person doesn't fall into despair at some point in time. Um, you know, like in, to, to reference when further into this, like in, in training day, because this was something that, that I remember a teacher openly like ridiculing and praising the, like the two main performances in it, which was Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. And basically, you know, it was like, well, Denzel is like powerful start to finish. It doesn't like he's, he's in a point of strength, like even when he's, you know, about to be gunned down Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's like, yeah, okay. All right. And then, and then Ethan Hawke being completely ridiculed. He's like, oh, he was such a, he was such a weak character. He was so like, he wasn't active and blah, 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 which I don't think that's actually true at all. I think he was extraordinarily active. I actually really enjoyed Ethan Hawke's performance in that for that very reason of he did what he was supposed to do. Like in, in terms of like how he interpreted this character or what, I mean, I do think that there are certain requirements you know, when you read a script as an actor, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain things that, you know, I feel like a lot of it, it's like, you know what, that's, there's going to be something that, that happens for you. You've got to have your own sort of take on it. But there are usually a few things that if you've done this a few times, you're going to pick up on a couple of things about who this person is, uh, that, that you've got, you've got to kind of, Grab onto, Mm -hmm. you know. I think that's important that you grab onto a few of these things, and you know. I think Ethan Hawke grabbed onto the dilemma of that character, Mm -hmm. like he understood that so acutely, and he and he played it like he saw it as being important to to doing the role of Hoyt, or (laughs) I think it was Hoyt. Yeah, I think so. You know, where it was just like you know, he's he's a guy who who has wanted to be in this position. He's wanted to basically be like, like what was it? It wasn't DEA, but he was like the drug squad. He wanted to be on the drug squad. Yeah, They
1: were like a tap team that, yeah, yeah, that took down the big people. And Yeah, yeah, like he wanted to move up. He
2: didn't want to be a beat cop anymore. Like he wanted to be like a big shot going after the big dogs kind of thing. And at the same time, and then he's confronted with basically the devil. Yeah. Right. Who has something that he wants, but at the same time, his way of doing it goes completely against everything that he believes. And so he's caught in this thing where he doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, and it would, it's super compelling. He was never like, he's always trying to figure out what he should do. And we see so much until eventually, you know, he, you know, he grabs onto a a choice and he goes for it. But if he would, if he had played that role, As in like, like, Hey, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to be like some sort of, a, don't know. Like I'm going to be like a strong in a strong position all the time. His character isn't in a strong position all the time. And if he didn't acknowledge that it would have been a disservice to the story as a whole.
1: Right. Well, you know, his, he had a moral ethical dilemma because, and that's what makes a, that's often what makes a lead hero, weak because your morals and your ethics in a lot of ways, um, you know, like, uh, people who are antagonistic characters, like, and also antiheroes, they have less scruples. Like they're, they're, they're willing to do things that most people aren't really willing to do. I mean, you know, and I think that's why antiheroes are kind of exciting because most of us really would never really be them it, in yeah. a way. An antihero, like, I mean, anti-hero is really interesting because they're, they're in a way kind of removed from us. And we almost fascinate about the idea of like, what would it be like to do that? But we never really would, you know what I mean? Like, and the thing is, is that when it really came down to it, I mean, if it came down to killing another human being, you know, you might think when you watch a movie, oh yeah, just kill him, like end it. But if you were really in that situation, you know, you probably wouldn't, which in a way from a PowerPoint, makes you weaker, you know? And so like Hoyt's character was positioned that way. And then, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Denzel's character. Um, he also, there's another dilemma. There's a bunch of dilemmas in that movie. Oh yeah. Uh, another thing is he was giving him, what's, it's a dilemma called Hobson's choice, which is basically, um, from my understanding, understand, Hobson used to be this guy who had a bunch of horses and people needed horses, whatever, wherever he was. And he would put the worst horses first. And people would come to get the horse and he'd say, and people would be, this is a terrible horse. And he'd be like, take it or leave it. So you're in a dilemma because you're like, I need a horse, but this horse isn't worth what you're charging, but he'd be take it or leave it. And if you didn't, you wouldn't get a horse. So he could, and it basically, it's a dilemma that's kind of used. And so, you know, um, Hoyt's in this situation where it's like, well, take it or leave it. You don't like it get out. But he's like, well, okay. And so then he kind of keeps making these compromises to his integrity and his ethics. And the more he does, that's the very tool that, you know, Denzel's character is using against him to put him in a weaker and weaker position. So to, you know, so for you to say, like for someone to say, oh, well, he wasn't played very strong. It's like, no the the script is designed for him to be in a place of weakness, yeah, and so he's as strong as he can be from a place of weakness i felt i agree with you, I think you know, and I think we should make a reference to this movie, and people should watch it because understanding this is like masterful story writing you know oh
2: yeah it's it's an i i think it is uh you know the story and and it came together beautifully as a film as well, um but the story is is Masterful, yeah. I think it's a mess. So if you haven't seen Training Day, uh, go just just go and find it, yeah. <laughs> and watch it.
1: Yeah, and if, if it's you not, saw a and net. you don't remember, watch it again.
2: Yeah, it's. I in fact talking about it, I'm like, oh man, yeah, I gotta go and watch Training Day again because <laughs> it is. It's it's so compelling. It is. It was so well crafted. The story just moves at such an incredible pace. Um, it's yeah, and it's so well well thought out. It's beautiful, and and I. And played so well by both Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke.
1: Mm-hmm. Both of them. <laughs> right. So so we were, we started this conversation. We're talking a bit about balance. We're talking a bit about position. You know, where you are in your in your stage or whatever what stage you're at. Um and we can look at this movie, I think it's a good reference point. Let's look at it, training day. You take both these characters and they're different stages in their life. You know, they're, they're at different stages in their career of different positions. Um, they're not going to be making the same kinds of decisions I mean if you look at Denzel's character he's had a lot of experience like and I actually like if you look at his character if you try to empathize with this character because I've really tried to break down this script his character really does believe that this is a corrupt world that they're in and the only way to really take down these criminals to really do anything is to kind of join the corruption in a way yeah whereas Ethan Hawke has Has kind of been on the very surface level of law enforcement. You know, he's been the beat cop, he's been whatever, maybe the detective, but he's only really seen, he hasn't seen that corruption. And so he's being welcomed into this world where, you know, the good guys are friends with the criminals because that's kind of how things work in that world, you know, according to the way it's going, right? And so when he tries to say no, I don't know if you remember this, but he tries to say no to the money, everybody gets really nervous because. Now he's, he's kind of trying to stay pure, but they're all tainted and they need him to be tainted for them to feel safe with him. You know what I mean? Because not everybody knows what's going on. You know what I mean? But anyway, it's, it's, the point is, is that, you know, I think like, for example, you might say start in the film industry and, and I hate to say this, but it's, it's something that you have to face to some degree if you want to keep moving up because there is corruption that goes on. I'm not saying everybody's corrupt. Yeah. But there is corruption. There are people who, you know, produce not because they necessarily want to make a great film because, you know, they, they want a certain lifestyle or they just want to connect with women or whatever. There's, there's things that are kind of not going on that are okay, you know, not okay. And so you think, well, when I, when I do it, I'm going to be, I'm not going to ever compromise myself. I'm not going to do whatever. Um, but you know, you're going to, you, you know, you move up the reins of this, you're going to end up in situations where your, your integrity is going to be challenged, you know? And, uh, what if you show up at a party where, you know, the, the group that you're hanging out with, and these are all the hotshot people that you've been socializing with or whatever. And, you know, they're all doing some type of really hard drug and they're like, you know, come and join in with us. And you know, you don't want to, and it's kind of weird. Cause you're like, you're, you're, you're outside, right? Yeah. There's, even if they're doing it, maybe you're against even people doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know, everybody's at different stages in their life, but the thing is, is you're going to be, as you move forward, you're going to be confronted with certain experiences and they, and you got to try to find your line. So I think sometimes my, my point is, is that I think when we enter into a lot of stuff, we have a very idealistic view of how it'll be. And then when you start to see it, you start to realize like it's not as, as innocent or as idealistic as you had thought, you know. Yeah. And there's things that happen or, or or the way things go. Like for example, being in an audition room and they're casting, uh, you know, a female character for a role, and you know they're they're just talking about what's the hottest one. They they don't really care about who who had the most skill. The, the first thing they're concerned about is who's the most attractive, and like in a way you look at that and you go, well, that might challenge your integrity because you go, well, isn't it the best person for the role? And then you see something like that and it kind of can jade you because then you go, well, okay, well, maybe it isn't the best person for the role. And so you're, once you have that experience, my point is your perspective changes and your decisions change with that experience. And you're not going to necessarily stop that from happening, but once you know it exists and you've experienced it in reality, you start to go, okay, well that's out there. It's a part of my awareness now. Whereas like when you started, you know, you might've, I mean, I used to believe when I started acting, I know I'm going on rent here, but I used to believe that the best actor would be the most successful. And I've, I will, I personally do not believe that anymore. I do not believe the best actor will be the most successful. I think that actors hit a point where they're all pretty, ex- you know, you're pretty exceptional but to even get to that opportunity where you can be in that place where you get the opportunity to show your exceptionalism if that's even a word um I like it. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> good. There's a, you know there's a there's a there's something that you must go through the gauntlet in so to speak of the whole acting process, you know, to even get to this spot. So Right. Anyway, which so which brings us back to the caterpillar. Yes, the cocoon
2: and the butterfly. Right. <laughs>
1: So, you know, you might, uh, you might experience, um, you you know, I think, and I, let's just take this from, I'll, I'll say my acting experience. I think it's good to give personal experiences, right? So people who are out there, especially young people who are just beginning is when I started, I had, I was very innocent. I had a very like naive view of the industry. Um, I really just believed if I worked really hard at acting and I was the best that that would be enough. And then I would book roles. And I started to, you know, as I started to get further into my career, I started to realize that a lot of the people who were getting roles were not necessarily the best actors. They were the most sociable actors. They were the ones who could communicate, that could connect, that knew people. And, and I started to realize, wow, like, you know, the, the, your ability to perform, you know, and, and you'll see this all the time. You'll see many great actors and you will be like, well, why don't they have a career? And then this other person who's like on this TV show, that's just crap. And they're like a talking head and they, and they're getting paid millions or something, you know, it's yeah. like, and, and there's this kind of weird discrepancy. So the thing is, is that, that, that can put you in the cocoon. Cause now you're like, well, I believed that if I was a really good actor, that I could have a successful career. And to some, I'm not saying that being a good actor is not important, but if you realize that it's not all that. So now you're in this cocoon because now you're going, well, now this means I have to play the game. I have to socialize with people. I have to go out. I have to connect. I have to do all that. You might decide you don't want to do that because you realize that acting isn't just acting anymore is my point, right? So, you know, and so then if you really, if really do value it, you might decide, okay, well, I'm going to play the game, but here's the problem. Some people just start playing the game and they give up kind of on their craft of acting and they stop working on that. And they just get really good at socializing and connecting. Yeah. And so, you know, and that can get you a certain amount of success. But I think what ends up happening is that gets you some short-term success, but the long-term success is really the really good actors. So it kind of goes back to the thing you initially believed, but it's both. Yeah. So, it's balance yeah it's balance
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know too like because I, yeah i know like but this is gonna make us sound super old or something but yeah it's like it, it was one of those things it's still pretty much the same but like those connections and stuff and and today to a large degree a lot of like especially for actors it's you know it's like what's their what's their twitter or their instagram following or you know that sort of thing plays a huge it's huge part now. in yep. it it's really big now um, because like for, and like, it's a business thing, it's just a straight, it's a pure business thing. Like there's no denying that where it's like, well, this person already has, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of followers. So they've like, that's, that's a built-in audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's usually, and it's usually already. in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions that Yeah. you want. Right. Um, cause that just a few thousand doesn't really make so much no, no. difference, but, yeah. but yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I know this, there's one actor or actress or whatever, who was getting a lot of roles for a little while. And simply because she had a really big Twitter following and, you know, her, her acting was quite mediocre, you know, quite mediocre. And, um, but yeah, she had a big following. And so, you know, and that's, and that's the thing. So then you have these other actors that are competing against her, right. And, and these other actresses are not getting the role, even though they're substantially, they work so much harder on their craft. But the thing is, is like, you know, it's not that she hasn't earned it because in a way she's played the game properly, you know, so she's earned it in that respect, but it's, it can disillusion people in a way because, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, and, and you've, you know, that's somebody who's thrown
2: themselves into, into that side of, of what they do and gone and had that experience of things. And, and then still ultimately you have to decide whether that's something you want to continue, you want to continue doing or not.
1: Well I think when you start playing the social game, you know the more you play it the more you're bound to it. and if your career is defined by it, the more you're bound to it. I mean you know take a I mean take any I don't know let's just pick one like Paris Hilton or something or Kardashian <laughs> or whatever Kim Kardashian right? yeah they have to play the social game. if they don't they're nothing you know they is they don't necessarily have maybe people like them enough now where they can say, okay well they have a personality but the thing is is that if that social game isn't played, they'll just disappear. They'll be gone, you know? And, um, the, the people that I I think like when you look at like someone who I really respect is like Matt Damon, for example, you know, because he's a super successful actor, does a lot of really great films. He doesn't play the social game. He really relies on, you know, the types of stories he's a part of and, and, and the roles that he does and all that stuff. Um, you know, and so same with like your your favorite actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, right? He doesn't play the game at all. You know what I mean? And so they, they have, they have a different demand on them, which is they need to continue to pick great roles in great stories and whatever. That's their demand.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and, and that's how they've, they've in some ways found, found their balance within what they do. You know, I, I think, uh, I remember a a big thing that, um, Larry Silverberg told us was, he's like, only, you know, what's good enough for you. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, and, and he was talking very much based on like the industry, you know, whether like, whether that's, you know, we, we focus a lot on, on film here, but he was even talking in, in theater, you know, like where you know, oftentimes as actors, you say, oh, well, it's the, it's the holy grail of everything is theater. And it has, it has way more integrity than the film industry. That's not actually always the case. You know, it's like within anything you're, you'll find within any industry at all. It doesn't have to be artistic. you you'll find the people who are doing it at, at a high level of integrity and people who are doing it at a very low level. Um, but you know, he, he was, he was trying, what he was trying to tell us was that, you know, you're going to be, you know, no matter what it is, people are telling you that you're doing it wrong or people who, um, you know, just based on your process on how you're, you need to do the work that you need to do. Basically, that's what you're saying. It's like you need to do the work that you need to do for you,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Because no one else is going to hold you accountable to that. No one's going to hold you as at high level as you are. At least that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like you know. A, a director's got so many other jobs to do, you know, there's so people, they have other jobs to do. You're the one who's solely focused on your job Mm -hmm. and no one's going to have the big expectation as, as high an expectation. They'll say, Oh yeah, that, that was fine. That was great. Do what you did there. Right. And so that's why he was saying, it's like, only, you know, what's good enough for you.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Only you're the one who you're the one who is the, You're the person. There we go. Jeez. How, what's in this beer? Um, (laughs) The best stuff, (laughs) but you're the one who has to be okay with yourself at the end of all of it. Who has to say like, I did everything that I could, or I brought everything that was to my highest standard, to my highest integrity to this, because nobody else is going to, most people won't. Most people won't. Some people you might have and if you do, you're, that's a gift. It, like, it might sound like it's crazy, but it's a gift. If you run into somebody who's going to hold you up to being as good as you are.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's what, I think that's why mentors are so important because mentors, you know, like mentors who are really there, who really believe in your future, you know, they want to know what's most important to you and they want to uphold you to that, you know? And, uh, I think I, 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 I don't know. I, I highly believe in mentorship, but I also think you can choose the wrong mentor. You know, and uh, I think you can choose a mentor that is actually just self-serving. And there, um, I don't know, they're maybe posing as a mentor and they're not really a mentor. I think that can happen as well. You know, right? But, they're sort of looking for
2: a, a kind of a worshiper. almost.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that's good because I think a real mentor doesn't want a worshiper at all. They want someone who is going to far exceed them. They want someone who they can be proud of. You know what I mean? Someone who will take some of the
2: ideas that they've, they're trying to pass along and then take it to the next, next level.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. And I think, uh, you know, uh, the best mentors, you know, like, uh, they want their protege, so to speak, to exceed them because, you know, that's in a way, like, I think as a mentor, you look at the world from a place of, okay, well, I've been able to learn everything that I've learned. If I successfully teach you that on top of everything you've learned and everything you're after and with your, usually with your youth, now you can far exceed what I've been able to acquire so far. You can take my legacy further. You know what I mean? And I think that's really what a mentor is. If a mentor wants to be the top and no one ever surpasses them, I think that's a warning sign. I think that's a red flag, you know, is that, and they might, I think a, a mentor tries to hold the highest standard they can so that everybody has something to really like aspire to, but with the hope that someone will take that aspire to everything they've been able to do and take it further. You know what I mean? At least that's the way that I've learned about mentorship and the way that I understand it. And, and I think that that's, I think that's the best way to do it. I I know that might be a bit off topic, but I think that's an important thing to share, you know, that people understand that because I think sometimes too, like people get into these, um, with these coaches or teachers or whatever. And it's, you know, and, and I'm not saying everybody's like this, but I'm saying there's certain people I've experienced who are like that where it's, they always kind of want to be on a power trip. It's like, they always want to have more power than you or something. And, um, I think if you believe that person has your best interest, but they're trying to keep power over you. I think you're in a, you know, you're, you're in a situation that's kind of a lie. You know what I mean?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it means you're in a fearful state as well. Yeah. You know, you're trying to just protect some concept of, of yeah, being the guru or being, yeah. And, and stomping people out. And there's examples of that and all over the place.
1: Yeah. Like I think a, a mentor would realize that I don't, like, I don't need to be above you for you to respect me. Like, cause like if you're truly teaching and helping someone, you know, and they might forget, they might decide that they've done it all on their own. Maybe that can happen. But I think, you know, usually I think when, when like, cause mentors, like most people who are being mentors, are not, they're not stupid people. They're usually yeah. They like someone who's really being a real mentor is usually a pretty intelligent person. They've had some experience with life. So they can recognize if someone's not being grateful. They can kind of pick up warning signs, you know? So, um, they're going to pick people who kind of have gratitude, who are thankful, who are appreciative, who bring stuff to the table. But at the same time, I think, you know, I, I imagine one day teaching, you know, people how to write a screenplay and one day someone getting up there and whether they thank me or not when they get their award, but knowing that I was a part of helping them get there to me brings me a lot of joy. You know what I mean? And I think about the mentors that I have now in this, this, the select group of there's a few of them now. I I really feel like they are people who like are pushing me beyond my comfort zones. They're pushing me beyond, you know, where I like, they'll say things like, well, why can't you be the guy that's teaching everyone in Hollywood how to write scripts? You know, why would you ever think that small? You know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing. And then you start going, oh yeah, like and, and when someone's pushing you to do that and, and helping expand your mind, and it's, it's not whether it happens or not, but they're encouraging you to go beyond anything that, you know, and I think that's a really cool thing, especially because I think I have my own specific vision, right? Which might be a little bit different than theirs. And that's the thing is that it's not that I'm, that I would be better than them. It's just that I would achieve my vision and they're trying to achieve their vision. And if you break it right down, they're very different they seem very similar on the surface, you know? And I mean, I think it's a, it's
2: important thing. We, we try to, I think, deny it a lot. It's some sort of idea of being, I think some weird idea of being immortal (laughs) or whatever of like, and I think that's where this whole thing of being the best is and always being the best. The thing is, is that you can, you, you can never win at that. Like pretty much we're all born to be surpassed at some point in time. Yeah. You know, like we, but we're going to surpass the people who were before us. You know, at least that's the goal. You know, hopefully we surpass the generation that preceded us. And then the next generation is going to surpass us. I mean, that's how society moves forward. That's how we've evolved as, as a world. You know, that's why we have, you know, the internet. (laughs) You know, that's why we, we build upon the things that were that were laid out for us and then we and then we take it beyond we take it beyond we take it beyond mm-hmm. right but somebody's always going to do it so you might as well accept that that, that somebody's going to do it yeah. <laughs> stop trying to protect some sort of uh i don't know f- this this idea of you know like there is some like i'm not saying like of a legacy i mean you can still leave a legacy but I don't know. I think it's way better if you leave a legacy that was for, you know, the betterment of everybody as opposed to your own, your own thing, you know, like when you're
1: dead, who cares? Anyhow, you're not going to care. Yeah. (laughs) At least, you know, we don't know, but, (laughs) but I mean, uh, I think the thing is, is not, not to aim to be the best, but to aim to be, to be great. To, to aspire to greatness you know to be exceptional at something um, and I think that uh, you know I I think like you know I don't know like look at uh look at hockey right for example like you know there were some really great players right but now the game has evolved there's been you know there's so much more they've broken down the game so much more you know arguably the players are getting better than they've ever been so a player today who's Rather average could have been potentially a top player back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but who knows? I mean, the thing is, is what's important is that we're learning and growing, and I think we're passing on our knowledge and awareness, and 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 people are people are able to reach higher heights because you know, um, what was it is it Edison? I don't know who said this, but it's stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm. That's the thing. Is like if we're always trying to be the giant you know, who's going to be the tallest giant, right? It's like, it's really about, I think people give us the the platform in which we can stand on top of, you know, Um, for example, um, whoever invented the computer, right? Everything now has been stood on top of that. You know what I mean? So someone created the base and now we're all, we're all doing things that are much more advanced, but we needed that first thing to occur, And far beyond what the original
2: in like vision was for it. And I'm sure, I mean, we can probably easily figure out who invented the first personal computer, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) which seems like that should be common knowledge. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm sure it's gone far beyond Mm -hmm. what, what was even envisioned at that point in time. Someone's like, we're constantly just astounded by what somebody does with an already existing, industry, or an already existing medium and does something that nobody's ever seen with it before. And that's, that's the whole idea. You know, it doesn't matter. They didn't have to be the in one, the one to have come up with it in the first place to be, to be of note because then somebody's going to stand on their shoulders and build upon what they've done and build upon what they've done. We just continue to inspire and everybody continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I mean, that's greater than any and then holding on to any singular accomplishment could ever achieve.
1: Yeah, totally. So I guess let's bring this back into, uh, how it relates to art and integrity and and all that. So I I think that, you know, I, I think we talked about kind of these stages that you move through, right? And I think is, uh, you know, whatever the highest stage is in our perception, there's always a higher stage. You know, there's always another level. There's another like degree in which, um, or a dimension in which the world can change. Like, you know, you go from the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? So the, the caterpillar is crawling in the ground, the butterfly is flying, right? You know, there's, 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 um, technology and the way that we're growing as a human race. I mean, like what it looks like now, I mean, with all this virtual reality stuff and all these things that are going on, we're able to create, three-dimensional worlds in which we're inside of. You know what I mean? That was a dimension that at one point in time was inconceivable, was arguably considered impossible. You know, we're, we're having, we're flying into space. We're doing things outside of our planet now, which were at one point, not even, not even conceived, let alone, you know, once someone even thought about what if we could go up there, like, you know, right. So, so, we're constantly building on top of each other. So I think as artists, we need to understand that, you know, it's, we all kind of, we all have to have a humble beginning. We all begin as caterpillars to some degree. We all have to learn. And I think that it's not about, I think it's not about being the best, but it's about, you know, getting to the top and then seeing if you can push into another dimension beyond the top, you know, and yeah. looking into like what's possible beyond that. Well,
2: I, I was actually earlier on, I was going to say, I'm like, the thing is that like, when you bring in like, you know, what we are as human, as human beings, you know, the, the, <laughs> the caterpillar in the, and the butterfly, I mean, that's, that's its entire life. You know, it it has that transition, right? It does it once. Yeah. I think we do that many, 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 many times in our lives. And, and, and there's so many transformations that you can be a part of personally, if you are open to learning and open to that transformation and and seeing what happens. Uh, and I think as artists, that's, that's one of the biggest things that, that you can do. There's so many ways to, to continue to grow and, and fuel yourself (laughs) moving forward. Uh, you know, one of the, there's this great documentary that was, uh, done about basically it was like the idea of the death of the death of film, um, like actual film stock in making movies and, uh, and the movement towards digital and pretty much almost all, all films today for the most part are shot digitally now um, for a plethora of reasons. Yeah. And I remember, uh, Danny Boyle talking about it and, uh, you know, Danny Boyle's and has made a lot of really incredible films has been a, in fact, I would say he's been a, an innovative and groundbreaking filmmaker in a lot of ways. And he's, in, he's, you know, he's no spring chicken, <laughs> <laughs> he's one, he's one white haired dude. Yeah. And I remember him in this documentary saying, cause he basically, he was a person who's like, I'm already on, like he was jumping into doing digital filmmaking before it was the, the status quo thing to do. Uh, and he was basically saying like, you know, like to all these people who are trying to hold on to this old way of doing it, you're going to find yourself, you're going to find yourself dead. He's like, you know, you grow like you have to grow mm-hmm. and, and, and keep moving. You've got to keep moving with the time, right? You know, you try and hold on too tight and you're, and you're going to find that you, there's no world left for you anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I, I thought that was just a, it was a really cool thing to hear someone like that say, even at his age, I don't even know how old Danny Boyle is, but he's, uh, he's probably in his 60s mm-hmm still making movies. And, and uh, it's, and I think as an artist, that's always, always keep growing and keep growing in different ways. You know, I, I learned so many things through other areas of my life that I'm like, I can, that I can reapply that I'm like, Oh my God, I see how this, this is applicable to how I teach, or this is how this is applicable to my acting, how this is applicable to my writing. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to be, open to it. Don't get too set in your ways about, about anything. Transform again, transform Mm -hmm. again. You know, you you thought you were a butterfly only to discover that you're in a cocoon to turn into a bird. (laughs) 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 Who knows? (laughs) Who knows, right? Like we don't, you don't know what you could turn into, but you, you won't know until you, you actually, you, you stay open to that happening.
1: Well, yeah. And I think as, uh, as people, we transition and shift and alter form in many areas of our life and those areas compound and they add to each other. And there's, um, we make very complex transformations as human beings. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily physically transform into something physically different, but I think that, you know, you transform in your beliefs, you and you transform through your thoughts and your perceptions all through your life. And I think like some, some people buy into the idea that, you know, I just want to get this and then I'm set and then everything's good. And now I can just be comfortable and life will be good. And I think that, you know, that seems really great. And, And I think, you know, this, sometimes you'll hear people say this, you, know, you definitely hear it in the personal growth community, you know, uh, well, when does it end? You know, when, when do I get to stop? And it's like, well, when you're dead, <laughs> Yeah. you know, that's, that's when you stop growing. I mean, you know, it's not like, I mean, in, if you get tired of the growth, if you get tired of the, of the change, I think that, you know, your, your perception is off. You're chasing something that doesn't exist. It's like, it's a, uh, it's like chasing happiness, you know? like happiness is just a feeling. It would be like chasing sadness is the same thing. Like it's just a feeling. Like if you, if you really are sad and you like go, I'm going to be really sad. I'm just going to, I'm really sad right now. I'm going to own being really sad. You know, pretty soon, no matter what you do, that feeling is going to start to change because your body is going to just have different physiological things that are going to happen. The, you know, the world's going to change around you. Yeah. And you Know the sadness, you have to be really committed to it to kind of keep it there, you know. It, t- it becomes work, yeah, you know. And so, our feelings are like that, they're just kind of they just kind of change. But this is kind of our growth, too. I mean, it just kind of changes in, in many ways. So, I think if we try to cling on and hang on to a certain life, like once I get married and get a house and get a car and get my job, then everything's good, right? It's like, well, no, because. Now you have new things the market changes, your relationships change, your kids grow up um, you know the <laughs> all these things they they you know yeah, and I think it's better to choose growth I personally think it's better to choose growth than to choose being stagnant well I mean because
2: you don't really have a choice in the matter, so you might as well be consciously a part of it yeah uh, i I recently had um, goal setting I, I was having this conversation um, <laughs> with my uh, my my future sister-in-law <laughs> and she was telling me about this um you know there's you know we we're all familiar with the concept of a pyramid you know like of and we we've seen it used to illustrate lots of things and and it's been used to illustrate sort of like okay this is where you want to be you want to be on top of the pyramid this is your ultimate goal right and she was saying well she's like the the thing is is that it continues on so if you think of the pyramid, you know, and it, it gets narrow, it gets to its point at the top, but then those lines actually cross
1: right? and they continue
2: on into the sky right? basically. Right. Like it's just, it opens up to a whole new thing mm-hmm. until eventually you find another point where you want to get to, but it, then it continues on and on and on and on and on. Right. You just keep open, just keep making your world bigger and bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the amazing thing. I mean, you, you know, you start something and you think, Oh, okay. So I got to get here. And then I'm, and then I've made it or I've succeeded. But the moment you get there to that place where you thought, if I got there, I've made it all of a sudden you realize that the, the world all of a sudden gets way more open and way more complicated. It's like, yeah. cause that was all you could see at the time. So, you know, then you get there and then you realize, Oh wait, there's this whole other world of things that are involved. And then you get to the top of that pinnacle And now it's the same thing again. So yeah, it's like, it's in, it's infinite. Yeah. And I mean, and you don't even know what that that's going to look like
2: because, you know, say that you, you set something out and you're like, okay, you know what, I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in a mansion. I'm going to make six figures a year and this and that, 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 that I'm going to drive this car and blah, blah, blah. And you get it, you know, you, you work your way and you make it there. And now that you've, you've hit that, the next step isn't necessarily, well, I'm going to be, you know, like, you know, I'm going to make a hundred, like for some people it would be, they're like, I'm going to make, I'm going to be a billionaire. You know, I want to be a billionaire and blah, 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 blah. It gets bigger that way. You know, there's plenty of stories of people who's like, they, they reach that sort of pinnacle of, you know, they had, you know, the huge house and the car and the pool and the, and the huge salary or whatever. And they go, Holy crap. I don't want any of this, <laughs> you know, know this music. And then they, they, you know, they go and they, tr- you hear these stories of, of these ultra rich people who give it all up. They completely give it all up and they go and they meditate, <laughs> you know, in the, in the hills with monks or something like that. And, and completely change how their entire lives look. Yeah. Because you just don't know. Mm-hmm. you just don't know, you know, because maybe that thing that you had always wanted. I mean, as Jim Carrey, I always, I love that. I recently heard it and I'm just like, Oh, it's so good. And, um, his speech, to his, the, yeah, yeah. Well, he's given a lot of really great speeches, but in one of them, he said, um, I hope you get everything that you ever wanted to discover that it's not what you wanted.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I was, uh, it's in my novel, the novel I'm writing is really based on that. I mean, it's about a character who, you know, has pretty much everything pretty much, and then realizes how empty his life is. You know, it's like, uh, the trap of materialism and success, you know, that once you get there, everything's going to be good. Right. And, um, he ends up going off and traveling the world and stuff. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's been great to explore these concepts, but I realized, um, you know, as I've been working more in this and working more in my own life, is that anytime that you think you need something, you will probably never get it. Because, like, if you think about it, you, if you live by needing, right? I mean, I'm getting a little bit like metaphysical here, Yeah, I suppose, but just try this on, right? If you live your life like I need this thing, right? Now, I need this thing. You do that long enough. It's going to start to become pretty comfortable. It's actually going to become so comfortable that getting it would be uncomfortable. So in a lot of ways, when you need something, when you're like, I need this to be complete in many ways, you will never really get it because you always are going to want to like be in that comfortable place. And so then getting it would be uncomfortable. So the actual way to get what you want is often to be unattached it's to be like, I don't need it. I mean, I would prefer it. I'd like it, but I don't need it. It, you know? And I think like, uh, you know, I look at like when I stopped, especially when I stopped like caring, whether I was getting a screenplay to, to write or not, I had more screenplays than I could do. You yeah. know, I was like, and that's the weird thing is like, when you don't need it, you're, you you're, I, I, I believe this is just my belief. I don't, I don't have any scientific proof, although there's people who talk about this, but I actually believe that I'm putting out a frequency to the world that's saying, I would like this world. I don't need it. I feel totally complete as I am. I'm totally fine. But then the, the thing is, is that because I don't need it, if I get it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable because I don't need it because I'm already okay, whether yeah. I have it or not. But if I need it, if I need it to be complete and I've done this before and I've, I've pursued things forever and I never get them because i am like, I feel like I needed it so much. But then it's like the moment you go, like people will see this in the dating world. It's like, I wasn't looking for anybody. And all of a sudden they showed up. Yeah. Why do you think that happened? Cause you're putting out a frequency to the world and, and people are picking up your frequency. They're putting it, you know, they're picking up this energy. If you're going, I'm without, I need this thing to be complete you're putting out a frequency that you're without. yeah. And, and what you're doing in a way is you're repelling that thing. You're actually maintaining this belief of need because right. that becomes your existence of scarcity. So attachment yeah. is like this really messed up thing because in a way, the more you need it or the more you have and you need it to have it, the more you're bound by it, the more you're yeah. limited to it. Well, you know, I think I, I really like
2: what you've just dove us into here. Um, but this, yeah, like if there is something wrong when like, there's something that just kind of, yeah, like you just go like, yeah, there's something wrong with that. But we conduct our lives like that. So often it's like, I have to have this to be okay, to be okay. Like that's crazy, right? Like it's something else. I have to have this thing out there to be okay, Mm -hmm. but it's an endless pursuit. And I mean, you're talking about, detachment and not to just, you know, weird people out. But I mean, this is, this is one of those things that, you know, I, I know in like Buddhism and stuff, they talk about detachment. Detachment's a huge part of, of, of those teachings. And, you know, it's like, I'm not saying that, you know, be a part of, of a religion or not. I'm not a Buddhist myself, but, or anything (laughs) like that, but it's like, there's, there's this, there's a wisdom to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this, it's like be detached. Don't be attached to things because, you know, and fight club, you know, it's like, that's a modern day yeah. <laughs> story about attachment
1: Yeah, totally. to things. That, and, you, and you said the quote uh, in, a, in another podcast we had, but uh, I'll say it again, is the things you own end up owning you. Mm. And it's, you know, it's so true. I mean, you know, um, or the things that you don't own.
2: Yes that you want to own, you know, and they just consume your life. And it's just like, it's this constant seeking for these things outside of yourself to be happy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I I think that most people, when they hear that are going to go, there's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. That should, that should rub you the wrong way. Yeah. To be like, like, do you depend on getting stuff out there to be happy, Mm -hmm. to be okay with yourself, to be okay with your life. That should bother you (laughs) if you think that way. Yeah. You know, like it's because it's, it's really, we, what we talk about, that's not what, what this is about. We talk so much about what it is that you do. What do you do in the world? What are you giving to the world?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, that's, and, and as artists, like that's that's so important for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's so important for us. If we're looking about what, what our art will get us all the time there, that's such a hard battle for so many reasons for so many reasons. That's such a hard battle like in, in, in artistic industry.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, y- your, your decisions, and we, you know, we started talking about this, your deci- decisions will be greatly swayed and affected. If you need the, if you need people to like you, if you need to be appreciated by the crowd, if you need to be famous, you know, if, if you need to be famous, I mean, you're, you can be manipulated by that fame that you need, you know, like, um, and people are, you know, I mean, and it's, it's unfortunate, um, because, I think that, you know, I think that like, when you look at the people who, who we really aspire to, they, I think we aspire to them, not, not because they have it necessarily, but because like, and I, I think people think they want to be in that position. They think, I think they, they, you know, we project ourselves and we go, well, I would, if I was there, everything would be great. If I was just them, or if I was in their position, or if I could just find a way to do that. And the thing is, is that, you know, you probably wouldn't even know what to do. Like the complexity of their life is, is in, in a way that you have no experience in and all of a sudden to throw you into that. And yeah, I think it, it starts, it starts like right now today, it starts with your integrity right now about who you want to define yourself with, like as, and, and like, your experiences right now are where we are going to train you to be ready for whatever position you want to step into. I mean, here's a good example. I mean, leadership, for example, a lot of people believe that leadership, I mean, they think, Oh, well the leader, you know, they get all the recognition they get, you know, they get all the claim when they, when, when there's an award given out, the leader holds it up, you know, the rest of everyone, they thank everyone else, but the leader holds it up. So I think a lot of people want to be the leader. You know, and like just take acting. They want to be the lead, right? But they don't realize that the lead, um, or being the leader actually has all these responsibilities, it has all these pressures, it has all these all these things. And if you don't live up to them, the consequences are sometimes quite dire. You know, you can you know you you know, and so like you think about I think about some of these movie stars, for example, and they're doing a movie and they're carrying it on their shoulders. Yeah. And like right now is like, you know, a small time actor, you might go, well, yeah, I'd love to have that. I just want to be in that position. But, you know, the thing is, is that there's, there's a pressure on them to be able to perform, to be able to, you know, to do what they need to do. You know what I mean? And they've done enough training so that under the pressure, under the time, you know, constraints, under the things that they're dealing with, the the dramas on set, all this other stuff, yeah. they, they can handle it because they've worked their craft enough and they've been, they've managed to be around the right people enough. And some people get to that spot and they, and they implode, you yeah. know, they, they can't handle it. Yeah. No, I did like sometimes. Yeah. You just, you have no idea. You have no
2: idea the kind of, and you see, I think actually a lot, like there's a lot of cases. I won't name any names, but you know, you look at some of these sort of what we you would call a train wreck, you know, of, you know, a young up and comer who just completely implodes, you know, and there's like, that's not for no reason. That's not for no reason. Uh, What you're saying, it it actually reminds me of a great article I read years ago, um, an interview with with Russell Crowe. And, you know, he's a guy who has been labeled by some people as being difficult to work with, you know, difficult on set and blah, blah, blah. And he was talking a little bit about that. And the way he described it was actually a lot in the ways is what you're saying. He's like, listen, he's like, I have to be on this stuff. You know, if I see something that's going on, you know, they're trying, like someone's trying to do this to them, to the film. Someone's trying to do this to the film. And like, it's, it's against what I think this whole thing's about. I'm going to say something about it. It's like, because this is a 60, 70 million dollar train and I'm driving that train. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, and, and I was like, Oh, like I didn't think about it that way. You know, it's like he, he, he's talking about that responsibility and that pressure. And you know, I don't know anything about, what Russell Crowe is is like on set. You know, I admire his work greatly as an actor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and and a lot of his films. And and you know, there's a degree of admiration I have, you know, maybe there's a degree to which he's he's gone a little overboard on certain things and and unwilling to compromise. I can't comment on that, but for the most part, I think that he's probably just a guy who cares about the integrity of not just what he's doing, but the integrity of, of the story that he's a part of. Mm-hmm. Because, um, was it you who was telling me about this? Might've been somebody else, but tell me about, uh, a it was a, it was a big film that came out a number of years ago, number of years ago. And, uh, he was a young, he was an up and coming pretty hot actor at the time who was in it. And, the movie came out and they were so like, they almost ugh, hid their face in shame. Someone yeah. I knew who met them. Was
1: it you? Um, no? why, well, if I, if I, I don't want to name who it is, cause I don't, I, I feel like it's not fair to maybe call them out on. on right. It. But, um, I think I know who you're talking about, they were, they were on a TV show and they were, it wasn't a TV show. Oh, okay. But, but, but was... this happened with someone who was on a TV show and they, they got their big break to be on a big blockbuster movie. And it bombed to the point where, they basically pulled it from theaters right away. And it ended up kind of being a, you know, almost like a DVD release thing. And right. Yeah. And I mean, this stuff happens and, and, you know, his career actually pretty much tanked after that movie. So like, I think sometimes we imagine ourselves being the stars of this stuff, but you know, what if you do it and your, your entire career tanks, because, you know, you, you didn't know how to handle it and you weren't, you weren't you know, and you chose the wrong movie. Like the other thing too, is like when you get that opportunity, it might've been a great opportunity. I don't know, but now that's your chance. And now once it's done in a way, it's kind of done unless you kind of rebuild yourself, yeah. which as far as I, I realize, it's been a while. This actor hasn't, but anyway, you're, you're telling a different story. Oh yeah it. yeah. it was, but I'm sure it's something similar, but it was a,
2: it was a big movie that came out and it, it actually didn't get terrible reviews when it was released, but, um, Yeah. It was, it obviously wasn't you, it was someone else who I was chatting (laughs) with, but you know, had, had met this, this actor in a, you know, a bar or a party or something. And they, and they said they were ashamed in some ways. They just like, they, they just shook their head about it. And they said, that's not, that's not the movie that was, the movie that came out is not the movie that we shot. It's not the movie that was written. Right. When, when I signed on to do it, like it came out completely differently. And you know, and that's the price when, you know, whether he had an opportunity to say something or felt that he was in a position to say something, if he noticed something was going wrong or something he didn't agree with, you know, it's in some ways it's, it's a bit of a cautionary story, which, You know, lends to that whole thing of of, you know, like a guy like Russell Crowe. It's like, you know what? I don't care if people think that I'm difficult to work with. You know, I know that I'm, I'm trying to make sure that the movie is going to be the best thing possible. Right. Because you know, you one person lets this thing slip, and one person lets that thing slip, and this guy lets that thing go, and you know, next thing you, it's it's doesn't even resemble it doesn't even have a, have a glimpse into what the original vision of it was Mm -hmm. anymore. And then everybody pays.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about integrity is, you know, to be in your integrity, you're not always going to be liked. It's not always going to be, you know, it's not always going to be really nice. And I think also, you know, um, I was just going to say like being at the top too, being super famous and super successful, you know, I think we imagine that, but we don't really, we think we want that. But what we really want is the experience we think that will give us Mm -hmm. because there's lots of people who have been famous, super famous, and they've committed suicide, you know, and they were probably in serious depression and great pain. And, you know, you think, well, how did they do it? They had everything. They, they were, they were so wonderful. They entertained me so much and they seemed like they had everything that I want. How could they have been upset? And the thing is, is it begs the question, would you, be willing to, you know, trade where you are to be in that position, knowing that you would be so depressed, you would be thinking about killing yourself. Like, you know, like, and I think that the thing is, is most people, like, unless you're at a place right now where you're like, basically so depressed that you're basically thinking about killing yourself, that wouldn't be too big of an exchange. You'd just be like, well, my situation would be better. At least I'd have money. I could do some things, um, or whatever. But the thing is, is that, uh, you know, we think that getting these things is what's going to make us happy and it's going to fix everything. But the thing is, is like, you wouldn't trade it for the experience. And I think that the thing is, is what you need to do is garner the experience right now. And, and if you build that, build it from a healthy place. Don't, don't just build it because you think that you need that to be complete, or you think that when you get there, everything will be okay. Because I think that's, you know you've just kind of in a way, excluded yourself more. You know, I think the hardest thing about being a leader in my experience is that being a leader can sometimes be extremely lonely, and you know you have um, a group of people who sometimes when you're making a choice for the betterment of everything, and you have a group of people that don't agree with it and and think you're wrong and and whatever. Um, and you know, I've even had, uh, the experience where I've had a group of people kind of rally against me a little and, um, it's a really, really hard thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a very, very challenging position to be in. And I think when things are good, being the leader is really nice and everything, you get that kind of recognition and acclaim, but when things are down, you know, that's when you really, that's when you're really tested. That's when you see what you're really made of. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and, um, I think people, I think it's good for people to take on leadership positions, but I think we are kind of given a, a false idea of what being a leader really is. You yeah. Know, we're kind of taught that it's all about the I, recognition and the glory. At least that's how I felt. I was taught a lot about yeah, it. Yeah. Or
2: you can just, yeah, I can just do whatever I want and, you know, but the thing is like, it's not really true because as a leader, you're typically responsible for a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have their, you have their, their destiny, their, you know, a lot of things in your hands, you know, a lot of people are putting a lot of things on you. Yeah. You know, whether
2: that's, you think that's fair or not, that's a reality of being a leader.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's funny too, because, you know, and I, I, you know, I think leaders will usually experience this at some point. You usually have someone who's not in your position, but wants to be, and they're talking or acting like they know what you should be doing, and I you know, and it's funny because like until you're in the position, you don't really know you know I remember uh doing a show and someone was <laughs> someone was like, "Oh yeah, like thought they could do what I was doing right and and uh not that they couldn't, but just they did it from a very arrogant place, and they asked if they could basically shoot something you know and and they wanted the responsibility and I'll tell you man, it was like they got a real i think slap in the face with reality, and the whole crew did too, and they you know, this person like basically kind of got exposed as like, you know, they weren't really a good leader, you know, because everyone was calling and being like, God, this person, like they're like, they're, you know, they're abusing us. They're like yelling at us. They're like demanding shit. And it's like, they don't like this person didn't realize that a lot of these people were doing the work because they were enrolled. They really believed and they were being treated well and they were being considered. And all of a sudden this person, I think they looked at it this is my projection. I assume, I don't know for sure. But yeah. It seemed like what they were doing was looking at it from a place of, uh, like, Oh, well I'm the leader. So everyone just needs to do what I tell them. But people don't really just, I mean, people will do what they're told. Cause I think in our culture, we're kind of taught to follow the rules, yeah. but people don't really do it like happily. But if, if people do stuff because they believe in what they're doing, it doesn't really matter. Like if they know it's for the betterment and you say, Hey, this is what I'd like you to do, but they know it's good and they see their purpose in it and their value in it, they're going to do it. And they're probably going to be like, they feel real good about it. But if they are just ordered to do it and they don't necessarily want to do it and they don't know why they're doing it, you know, and they might take the order, but if you do it in a mean way, or you do it without compassion, I mean, it's not going to take long before that person starts getting fed up and starts thinking, you know what, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore because you know, And so, you know, leadership is, uh, leadership takes a lot, you know, you really got to consider a lot of people because everybody who's involved, um, you know, I mean, if you control their paychecks and you control this stuff and they need that and they feel like they need that, then, you know, they'll probably do what you say because they feel like, well, if I leave this, then I'm screwed. Right. Yeah. But, but if they do it because they really are a part of the team, I mean, that's ultimately what, what the best leadership is. So either is hard though, because, you know, the, the one takes like the doing it the best way. It takes a lot of work. You got to really get involved with people. You got to kind of understand their plight, you know, get in there. Dictatorship leadership is, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of the leader and then everyone else is against you because you're, you know, you're not friends with them. Now yeah. you're just the boss. You know what I mean? So,
2: yeah. And it's, and, uh, are reading like a book on the psychology of like that, in a, like, in a work environment, you know, of, of sort of a tyrannical style, a tyrannical leadership style. And the thing is, is that like, you know, it, it does get people to, it does get people to, you know, fulfill a function, but only just enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You'll like, people will never go above and beyond for a dictator. No. You know it's like other than maybe a few close you know like devoted people, right, but for the most part, people just like they'll they'll do enough just so they don't get in trouble
1: yeah and they and if they do go above and beyond, it's not for the dictator, it's for themselves in some way, yeah, you know uh but when people are really enrolled and they really believe in something, they'll think on their own about how to help, you know, and uh also not everybody is not everybody is the right fit. I mean, that's the other part of a leadership position is that sometimes you got to let people go because some people are not a good fit for what you're trying to build. Yeah, And that's, uh, you know, if you're trying to, I mean, if you fire people or let them go without compassion, you know, I find that really hard to do personally. I, 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 uh, just like you're fired, get lost, you know, you're done. Like I, that's not, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I find it very difficult to do that. So when, when, if I've ever let anyone go, I try to look at it from a place of like, okay, well, this is what, this is what I'm looking for. What do you, you know, or, or what are you looking for? This is what I'm looking for. You know, this is what we're going to need. If you want to be a part of this team, if you don't want to be, if you don't want to do that, then it's okay. You know what I mean? And then they can kind of fire themselves because I think like that whole Donald Trump thing, you're fired is like, I think it's great for television, but I think like for most of us, um, I, I don't think that, I mean, I, I know that you definitely don't want to be fired like that, you know? And so <laughs> leadership, I don't know. Like, I think it's funny because it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it, there's more to it than, than, than meets the eye, you know, mm-hmm. more than we're told, you know, like a transformer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, why don't yeah. we talk about this beer? Yes. So how are you enjoying it, Evan? I'm enjoying
2: it. It's, uh, it's a, it's rich. It's got quite, it's got quite a
0: mouthfeel.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it is rich. It's actually a lot richer than I remember in the tasting, um, th- doing the taste test you know, after you have like, uh, we're in our second glass now. Um, yeah, it's, it is a rich beer. Um, it's from Doan's craft brewing company. Doan's. I've never even heard of them. Yeah. So they're, um, they're down, uh, they're past Hastings and past commercial, like more, um, east of commercial. Right. Um, and they're a couple blocks or a few blocks down from Hastings. They're almost right by the train tracks there.
2: There's a lot of breweries down in that area.
1: Yeah, there are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they actually had like every beer that I had there. I, I personally liked, I mean, they gave me four tasters while I was there. And, uh, it was really hard to actually choose them. They were all really quite good. So that's always a good sign. I'm just, um, finding the picture here. Right. It's so, called the, it's called alt beer. Like, oh, okay. Like, I guess it's, uh, I don't know. It just said alt beer with a smiley face. She tried to explain it to me a little bit, but it has a very rich, you know, mouthfeel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I, I truly do not encourage that use of, of the word by the way. No. Yeah. I don't know the,
1: I don't know the percentage of alcohol because they didn't label it. So it could be high. Well, could not be. I don't know. Well, I I'm, I'm feeling it a titch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good. Um, it's kind of, this is the kind of beer that actually I, I didn't realize it when I got it, but this is the kind of beer that I really like kind of almost like in the winter time when it's real cold. Right. You know? Cause it's got that, it's almost got kind of a, it's like almost having like a scotch you know it's just like <laughs> i don't know it's, it's yeah no it's kind of got a, a little bit of a thickness a, to it it's yeah. very dark and you're right it actually you said earlier it kind of had a chocolatey it kind of does almost have a yeah like, like a bit of a
2: it's a it's a sipper it's a sipper
1: Hmm. well anyway so that's the yeah, beer that's the beer um it's dones dones yeah sweet how is that spelled d Spe- d-o-a-n-s D-O-A-N apostrophe S. I'm going to double check. Yeah, D-O-A-N apostrophe S. Craft Brewing Company. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. They're on Powell Street and Pandora Street. Powell and Pandora. 1830 Powell Street, Vancouver, B.C. Boom. Beautiful. You got the address (laughs) in a roundabout way. Um, Yeah. So, I don't know. uh, Wrap this baby up. Wrap this baby up. It's always so tricky on these
2: not so serious Sundays to, uh, yeah, I know to wrap we, up our conversation. We really
1: went in a, a wild, wild ride to some other topics. Yeah. It started out, I really thought we had it in the beginning. <laughs>
2: I don't know well, anymore. You know, I think it's, you know, I, I I think, uh, that's almost a mistake in some ways on <laughs> our parts too, is, you know, you try and rein in what we're, what the Sunday chat is about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for us to figure out at the end of it. Yeah. You know, it was about, we were trying to like figure it out part way through it and then be like, okay, that's our topic. Yeah. And you know, this is, it ended up going in all sorts of other directions. So
1: yeah, it was good. I think we covered a lot of great topics. Was there anything that really stood out to you in this one? Oh, uh, you know, this, these recaps are just brutal. <laughs> <laughs> these recaps are just so
2: brutal for me sometimes. Cause like, especially after drinking some beer, the end of the day, (laughs) you've had a couple of drinks. You're like, uh, (laughs) Um, but I'm sure there are a few things that have stood out to me. Um, you know, the, I don't know, the transformation, you know, I I really like this, this, the analogy, another brilliant Brandon analogy (laughs) of the, of the caterpillar and the cocoon and the butterfly and just all these transformations that, that we, that we go through, uh, throughout our lives and, and as artists and that, you know, not to get too, too set in your ways, you know, don't get too stuck in your ways and be open to, to change and to, and to learning new things. And that it, that doesn't necessarily happen in a classroom, you know, like you, it doesn't necessarily happen, you know, in that setting. Right. It happened. There's, there's lessons to be learned to your craft in all aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, I would argue that you will probably learn more that way and, uh, to be open to that and, and to be a person who is looking to, you know, just kick off the next generation to, to keep the movement going forward, see where you can do, do better than the people that were before you, Mm -hmm. not as some sort of egotistical sense of being the best, but to, uh, about building upon, building upon what's been laid down before us, seeing how we can evolve that, you know, maybe even, maybe even revolutionize it. Right. Right. And it's stand on, I I love that, that you brought up that quote, stand on, on the shoulders of giants Mm. and someday, maybe somebody will stand on yours.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That, I
2: think that's one of the greatest things you can aspire to is for someone to stand on your shoulders.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if someone, I mean, that's, that's the greatest acknowledgement, you know, is for someone, I mean, for someone to say that you paved the way for me and I want to stand on your shoulders. You know, I think about Marlon Brando and like every actor pretty much today, we're standing on their shoulders. I mean, and and, 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 he was standing on the shoulders of, you know, whatever. We can go back to lineage, but doesn't, you know, and 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 people beyond that. But the thing is is for us to acknowledge someone and say this person was really great, you know? It's not just to be like them, but it's to use what they offered us and then I think explore beyond that, you know? Um I think we talked about a few really interesting topics. I mean, one thing we we kind of briefly discussed was we were talking about power and weakness and um I we didn't really get to venture into that topic too much, but I was thinking about how like there is a bit of a power in acknowledging your weakness. You know, we were talking about training day and we were talking about the dilemma that the character Hoyt was in and he was powerful within the weak position he was put in, you know? Well, because um, I
2: think there was an honesty.
1: Yeah. And so I think that this comes back to that initial analogy where I was talking about the caterpillar and the butterfly. I mean, I think we all want to be the butterfly. We all want to be with the beautiful wings flying around and everybody look at us and we're so wonderful and the world is open to us and we can do anything. But I think sometimes we have to acknowledge where we're at, you know, and um, sometimes you're the caterpillar and that's okay. Sometimes you got the training wheels on or whatever. Um, And I think you need to acknowledge where you're at and then work from that. You know, Um, the little kid who has the training wheels on, who's riding the bike is going to make different decisions with that bike as opposed to the person that's you know got the full suspension downhill bike and is going down the mountain. They're yeah. going to be making different decisions. They're they have a different experience level, you know. And I think that it's kind of just about going and acknowledging like okay, well how much life have I experienced, you know? And and then you you talked about making decisions earlier and I think that it's not it's it's not that we we don't actually, this is just, and I'm just kind of recapping some of the points, but we, it's not that we have, we have every decision open to us, but every decision doesn't make sense to us. It's really just a select few decisions that make sense to us. And I believe they're based on the position we're in, in our life. Yeah. So, you know, make a decision based on the position you're in, do the best you can, but make a decision. Don't, don't fall into indecision, you know, but, uh, the decision of, uh, an actor, for example, who's been in the industry for 15 or 20 years is going to be different than someone who it's their first day. You know, um, you have a different set of decisions, but make, make a strong decision, go with something from wherever you're at. You'll get some life experience. And I think the only way for us to transition from the caterpillar to the butterfly is for us to make decisions and get life experience. And then, you know, you just get refined and you get better Mm -hmm. and you get better and the world opens up to you in a new way, you know, and then you do it all over again. Exactly. And you do it. And I like what you pointed out. That was my, my final point is that you said, um, we make this transition many times over, not just once in our lifetime. And I think that's a really important point to leave people with that. It's something that we do over and over and over again in, in a magnitude of different areas. And it's, uh, you know, and, if there's an area in your life that's really important to you, maybe there's a transition beyond the butterfly that none of us even know about. We've never even experienced. And maybe you can find that. I think that'd be a good thing to lead people with. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of poetic. Cool. (laughs) That was really great.
2: Yeah. I love these not so serious Sundays, which was pretty serious. (laughs) I know
1: it got really serious, but that, I don't know. It's not serious for us because we, we don't know what we're going to talk about. Yeah because we're not serious, (laughs) (laughs) but then we get serious. Yeah. Anyway, adios.